Hey, good morning, Veritas. Good morning to you all. Um, beautiful morning too, right? Man, it's glorious out there. I, um, I love how these guys that are worshiping up here, they sneak the truths that we're about to learn into the songs uh, that you just got done singing. And I love that how, I mean, they're actually not sneaking. It's very intentional that uh, we, we just sang, especially that one about Waymaker and he's the promise keeper. We're, we're going to, what you've just been singing, we're going to discover in our Bibles today. That, that's what I'm trying to say, and I'm, I'm thrilled that we can discover those truths together in Genesis. We're going through this series through the book of Genesis, such an important book, first book in the Bible, really important that we understand those foundational truths, those opening pages, and we've gotten up, up to chapter 12, that's where we're going to be here in a few moments. Um, one quick thing, I want to give a quick shout out this last week. Um, some of our kids, some of the Veritas kids that are in this uh, education co-op found out that a bunch of them had been doing extra jobs like raking neighbors' lawns and selling baked goods and different things. And together they uh, put together, these children, put together $1,300 to give toward that uh, bridge that we're trying to put over the, for the Kabansa villagers over in Zambia. And I'm just like, I'm so struck by how cool is that? What a pace that some of the children of our church are setting because they saw a need and thought, we could do something about that, you know? So it, it may, if they exploited you, you know, with your lawn or your hunger for brownies or whatever, thank you for helping them to bring that gift. But I, I just think, man, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Um, guys, uh, a few years ago, I, uh, I had the privilege of leading a friend of mine to Christ and immediately, he became this just evangelist. He just was telling everybody that he knows about Jesus. Um, and it was so natural for him. You know, I would hear his stories every time we'd hang out. He's telling me, oh, yeah, I met this guy, I met that guy. Just telling everybody, everybody. I mean, God had so radically changed his life. He couldn't help but tell everybody else about it. And I remember this conversation I had that one time. One time he came to me and goes, you know what, Jeff? I'm not going to ask people if they're Christians anymore. Because... All of them think they're Christians. So now I go, no, 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 I don't want to know that. I want to know, are you a follower? He said that. So from that point on, he'd go to talk to somebody, are you a Christian? Wait, I don't want to. Are you a follower? You know, and I'll never forget this conversation that I had with him and what a delight he was. Because actually, it's like, you know, the teacher became the learner in that moment. What my friend Matt was stumbling on is something very deeply anchored in our Bibles, and that is that when we talk about faith, when we talk about belief, when we, when we say, yeah, I believe that stuff, actually the Bible's definition includes this idea of following. I, I want to show you um, an example of that from the New Testament, actually. We're going to get to Genesis, but in Hebrews chapter 11, this is a whole chapter that's trying to tee up and help us understand what faith really is, Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 6, here's what it says. It says, now, without faith... It's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. So first of all, believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, so the word seek, it's too tame in this translation. The word that's used, the Greek word that's underneath this is actually this idea of search diligently. It's not just happen upon something by happenstance, kind of passive. No, no, no. This is seek as in search diligently. 
Those that have faith are ones that God has encountered and they believe that. They believe there's a God that exists and they start following him. That's what that means, right? So all of Hebrews 11 is about that experience. All these men and women of faith encountered God, believed that he exists and start following him. And what you find uh, he, he, after that verse, he starts talking about Noah, which is cool. We just learned about Noah. And then the very next verse, verse 8, is about the guy we're going to study today, Abraham. So look at what it says in verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. So God called, has this encounter with God, and he obeyed. And he set out. He started following. He set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out. He just started following, though even though he didn't know where he was going. God, God didn't give him a GPS. God didn't give him a roadmap. God encountered this guy, Abraham, said, hey, follow me. And Abraham believed, and that meant I'm going to obey, and I'm going I'm to start following. So, guys, here's how consequential this dude is. Um, Abraham is not only con- considered the father of the faithful, like that's what he's called even in book like Galatians and different parts of the New Testament. He's the, the, the template, like the, uh, the, the model for us of what faith looks like. But that's not just true for you and me. Over half the global population, when you add up all Christians, all Jews, and all uh, Muslims, all of those world religions would say Abraham is the guy. Abraham is the guy that defines faith. So over half the population, a guy that lived 4,000 years ago is still defining for us what is faith. That's how important he is that we, that we look at him, okay? So let's, let's look back at Genesis. Like I said, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. And I want us to see the moment that we actually just uh, saw referred to in, in Hebrews chapter 11 when God encounters Abraham and asks him to follow him, okay? So I'm going to start reading Genesis 12, uh, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, by the way, his, his name is shortened here because it gets expanded to Abraham in a couple chapters, but for now it's the same guy, but it's, he's Abram here. Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, right? As the Lord had told him, he went, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all his possessions that he had accumulated, all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. Now, just kind of mental note. Why does he bring that up? Okay, we're going to come back. But at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I'll give this land. And he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then from there, he moved on into the hill country east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on his east. And he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called in the name of the Lord, then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Okay, so this is that passage that says starts defining for us, giving us a picture of a model of what it means to have faith. Well, the first thing that we're going to find is if we're going to answer that question, do you have faith? Are you a follower? It actually means then you obey. 
When he calls you obey, that sort of means to be a follower. So pretty significant moment in time because as we get to this part of Genesis, we've almost been more at like a 30,000 foot view. In other words, Genesis 11 has us looking at this Tower of Babel, and then God confuses their languages. By the way, if you weren't here last week, didn't get to hear that message that Mark brought, such a critical message. I would love for you to go back and and, uh, listen to that. Anyway, at that point, we're looking at the whole earth and descendants going on all over the tribes and different languages going on all over the earth. And now, all of a sudden, it's like we're looking at planet earth, you know, with all that, and just we're going to zoom in on just this one guy, one guy, Abram. And when he encounters Abram, look at what happens here. This is really significant. He gives Abram one job. He says, Abram, go. That's your job. You go. Now, here's what I'm going to do. And look at how God stacks all these I wills. If you start circling every time he says, I will, you go to the land I will show you, right? To, to make you into a great nation, all this. So I'm going to show you the way. You go, and I'll show you the way. I know you don't know where you're going. You've never been there. You've never even heard of this place. Scary people there. I, I'm going to go before. I, I'm going to show you the way. I will, he says next, make you into a great nation. Guys, at this point, Abram is a nomad. He is, is living, wandering around in a place he's already unfamiliar with where, where this starts off with. Now he's being asked to go another 400 miles to another place, and there he says, I'm going to make you a nation. Not just people, not just descendants, a nation. That means borders, cities, walls, armies, economies. I'm going to make you a, a nation. He's got nothing right now. He's a nomad. He says, I'm going to bless you. Now, this word bless, again, seems, seems a little tame. It's, it's way deeper than just, oh, bless you, child. You know, I, I give you a blessing. No, it's more than that. It's like when you get to Numbers chapter 6, when God describes this blessing is, I'm going to bless you and make my face shine upon you. It's this idea that God's going to be watching over you and, and all this stuff might be going all around, but when you look up to heaven, just know your, your God, your Father is shining down on you and blessing you. He says, I will make your name great. What a contrast to last week's Genesis 11 where they're building a tower. Why? So they can make their own name great. I'm going to make a name for myself. That's what they said in the last chapter. Now it's flip that around and God's saying, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to be doing all the work, but people are going to remember your name. 4,000 years later, literally everybody in the planet knows about this guy, Abram because of what God is doing. Not because he set out to make a name for himself. Nope, because God is choosing to make his name great. He says, I will make you a a blessing, like a channel, a conduit of blessing. My blessing isn't just going to begin and end with you. Actually, I'm going to channel blessing through you. So the whole earth is going to start hearing the truths from the creator God, because you're going to write them down and teach them. And all the people are in the world, they're going to start singing the songs of deliverance and the songs, you know, to, to learn more about you because you're going to teach them. In fact, at one, at one point, many years later, the Messiah, the Savior of the world is going to come to the whole world through you, right? All this blessing is going to come through Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, so I'm going to protect you. Not only am I going to go before you and, you know, lead you here, follow me. I'm going to be the rear guard, making sure nobody sneaks up behind you. I'm going to be the one guarding and protecting you. And once again, this must be really important because he, he doubles down on it. I will bless all the peoples on earth 
through you. All the blessings that God has coming to this earth are going to be channeled somehow through Abram. In fact, including, and most, most importantly, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Right? So God goes from scattering the nations in chapter 11 to now saying, Abram, I've got a message for this whole world, and, and you're going to take it. I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to take it, and you're going to end up bringing the Messiah. But I do want you to notice verse 1 again, because even though God is stacking up all the I wills, all the stuff he's going to bring to the table, right? It is significant what he's saying to Abram. He says, I want you to go, but it's also going to include going away from something, right? Look at that. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house. Guys, I really want you to pick up on this because it's a really, really, really important part of what it means to have faith. Faith is not just all of a sudden adding something or, or you know, starting to go towards something. It's actually turning away from a path that you were on before. By the time this idea of faith is really developed when we get to the New Testament, we call this repentance and faith. So to, to turn to God means I'm going this way and I actually stop going this way and I make an about face and I start heading a different direction. God's calling me here, but I've been going this way, right? And so he says, Abram, I need you to do something. I need you to, this is all familiar ground to you. This, this is where you've built your home, your family. I'm saying, nope, I'm calling you onto an entirely different path. I need you to turn away from and toward me. And nowhere is this more kind of brought out then I, I told you, hey, take note of this thing, Shechem. Here's what happens in verse 6. This is really bringing out this idea of turning and making a decision to, to follow. It says in verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. Now, that really got me to pause this week. I was like, why is he bringing up Shechem? In other words, you guys, at the beginning of this chapter, when he calls Abram, to where he's calling him to, again, 400 miles he's going to walk to get to where he's supposed to be. That'd be like you starting off today and walking to Louisville, okay? It'd be like you starting today and walking to somewhere in middle Nebraska. I don't pick a town up there if there is one. Out, out in the middle of Nebraska somewhere, like you're going to walk, right? That's 400 miles. Think of all the places that he would pass in 400 miles. All the people, all the, you know, monuments, whatever, why Shechem in 400 miles and all that? Why does he pause and say, oh, by the way, it took him to Shechem? So I started digging in a little bit. Here's what I found out. Shechem becomes, in the Old Testament, this um, place of like a fork in the road. Like a consequential decision-making point. And, and here, let me tell you a few of the times that you see Shechem come up again in, in later pages. One time is in the book of Deuteronomy, just a couple books uh, further in, in your Bible from here. In Deuteronomy, God gives the law how to follow him, right? And then what he does in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he's, he brings everybody to Shechem, this very place. And when you get to Shechem, on one side is a hillside. And he's going to say, I want a bunch of people gathered on there. And they're going to proclaim what it means to really follow me. And there's another hillside facing that. And I'm going to have all the people over on this side say what it's like to not follow me and to disobey me. And so they're going to have blessing and cursing over here. And it's almost like he's saying, hey, everybody, you're going to be at Shechem, and you're going to have to decide. You're going to follow this way or that way? These voices or these voices? What are you going to do? Are you going to follow God or not, right? Here's the next time you see Shechem. At the end of Joshua, some of you have read the book of Joshua. You get to the end of Joshua. Joshua actually calls all the people to this very point, Shechem. At the end of the book, 
He gathers them all there at the same place. He says, all right, you got to decide. Are you going to follow God or not? Remember when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're following the Lord, right? But you got to decide today, where, which way you're going to go. You gotta, here's a fork in the road. You go this way or that way. As for me, I'm going this way. I don't know who's with me, but I'm following God. That's the place, Shechem. Another place, and I'll stop after this. It's so fascinating. Another place is after, when you get to the time of the kings, and Solomon uh, dies and gives his son the kingdom, right? And he gathers everybody again at Shechem. And basically the people say, look, if you'll be a good king, right, we'll follow you. We'll stay together and we'll follow you. And instead, he's like, no, I'm going to make a name for myself. He gets all proud, all cocky, right? And at that point, the whole kingdom is divided. And some people say, I'm going this way. People say, I'm going this way, right? Judah, Israel, that whole thing happens at Shechem. Isn't that crazy? It's like this dividing point. Why do I think God actually has this stop with Abram in that 400-mile journey at Shechem and points that out to us? Because Guys, it's teaching us something really important. And here's what I want to do. I, I want to bring you to Shechem right now. And, and I, want to, I want to channel my friend Matt to you right now. And I want to say, hey, are you a Christian? And then I want to quickly say, actually, I want to change the question. Are you a follower? Because if you're a follower, it should actually look like something. Okay? I want to ask you a question. If you are saying, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a follower, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? Because here's the deal. That's like baby step number one. When Jesus says, hey, come follow me, it's followed immediately by, oh, once you decide to follow me, get baptized. If you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm going to put it in air quotes. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Have you done the first baby step of following? Are you baptized? If you're not, then you got to ask yourself, well, am I a follower or am I just a Christian. You know what I mean? Have you started giving of your resources back toward God? You guys, this is not some abstract thing. When you start looking, already we have encountered people of faith, Abel, Noah, now Abram, and we're going to find, actually we're going to have to skip it in the next chapter, a, a monumental time that Abram gives back to God. Every time these guys in, encounter God and by faith, one of the expressions is to give materially some of their treasures back toward God. You know why? Because it's saying, God, you know what? I'm realizing no longer am I going to pretend like I brought all this on by the sword of my own brow and my own cleverness, my own strength. You're actually the one providing for me, and I'm going to give back to you to show this is actually yours from first to last, and I'm going to give some back. It's my way of saying, no longer is that my God. You're my God, and I'm going to, I'm going to give back to show how freely I'm going to pull my white-knuckle grip on all this stuff and start giving back to you. Here's my question. Do you give? Do you? Are you following? It's like one of the most foundational things that we're seeing in these opening pages of our Bible that carries all the way through. Are you? I'm going to get really kind of step on some toes intentionally, I think, you guys, do you read this book? Do you read the Bible? I'm not being snotty. I'm being really intentional about this. Here's what we're not, Guys, we don't have to wait for God to speak to us out of the sky. He's actually written it all down and put it in book form, and it's readily available. If you don't have one, we'll give you one for free right out here. Our list will be there and just hand you one, right? Here's what I'm saying. Are you hearing God? How are you going to follow a voice you're not even paying attention to, Right? Are you, are you reading your Bible and then not just reading it, but like James in the New Testament says, are you being a doer of the word, not just a hearer only? Are you actually hearing from God and then doing, right? 
Abraham, I mean, he believes God and starts building altars and saying, I'm following. Hey, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to follow, right? It looked like something. Does it look like something when you say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a follower? What's it look like? Because being a person of faith, Abraham's our, our model here, what it means to be, he obeys, does it. It looks like something. Okay, here's what I want to do. we got to skip a, a chunk, and I want you to go to chapter 15 with me, okay? So go to Genesis chapter 15. Because now, if you're saying, I'm a follower, things get a little scary here, okay? In verse 1 of chapter 15, skipped a couple chapters, but it says, after these events, now just know, when I say after these events, that's 25 years have transpired from when we started in Genesis 12 to where we are now in Genesis 15. 25 years ago, Abram was given some pretty remarkable promises, and I want you to note that as you see what happens now. After these events, 25 years later, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your covering. I'm your protection. Your reward will be very great. Isn't that Hebrews 11:6? Keep following. Keep following. I'm going to reward those who believe that I exist, and I reward those who seek him, right? On that, God, just God's saying to him, keep coming. But Abram said, uh, Lord God, um, what can you give me? I'm childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. God, you, you made me a promise. I don't know if you're counting. 25 years ago that I would have descendants. I, I don't know if you noticed, God, not one. <laughs> you're telling me about nations and telling me about peoples and telling me about family. I, t- t- 25 years ago. I, I feel like I've been a pretty patient dude, right? Abram's like... I, how are you going to pull this off? Now the word of the Lord came to him. No, no, no. This one will not be your heir. Instead, no, I'm telling you, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look at the sky. Count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. You guys, have you ever been to a place um, where there's almost no humidity, like not Iowa? <laughs> like, have you ever been to a, like a really dry, arid place? Where, where Abram is, is a really dry, arid place. And if you're ever in a place like that, and there's actually no moon that night, the moon hasn't come out yet, and it's crystal clear, and you go out and there's no humidity, nothing, no opaqueness in the sky at all. Have you ever been to a place like this? And you look at the sky, isn't it breathtaking? Have you ever been there? Because it almost looks like you could reach up and grab those stars. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's staggering, right? How, picture that. Take, takes Abram outside, and he just says, look up. Just, can you count them? Are you kidding? I can't even count this little block right here. I know. It's phenomenal, right? Abram doesn't have one child at this point. He says, can you count those? That's what I'm going to do for you. Crazy. And look at verse 6. Abram believed the Lord. Believed him. And God credited it to him as righteousness. He just believed. He believed. So he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said, Lord, how can I know that I possess this land? There's a bunch of other people on this land. How can I know? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Things are going to get really weird here in a moment. I'm just warning you right now, okay? It's a really weird recipe. Something weird's going on. Just be ready. He brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other 
but he didn't cut the birds in half. And now the birds of prey came down on the carcasses of Abram, drove those away. And as the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Got really scared. Lord said, Abram, know this for certain, for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions, but you will go to your fathers in peace and buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they'll return from here, turn here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Okay, why this little portion here? This is something really, really important about faith, okay? If you're saying, yeah, I'm a follower, just know this. It might get scary. In fact, I'm promising you, it will get scary if you start following God. So God has just promised to protect him and to reward him, right? That's what he said just like moments before this. And yet, here's how scary that can be. Abram's like, man, I I believe you. Don't have any kids. (laughs) And this nation that you're saying... I'm just surrounded by people who'd rather kill me right now because I'm I'm just I've got all my tents in their back in their backyard, right? Like but I'm going to believe you, but I'm telling you this seems kind of scary. This this seems pretty shaky to me, right? Oh, by the way, Abram, all those kids that I promised you. Remember I had you just look at the stars like a moment ago? Yeah, actually, I'm going to gather them up and send them to Egypt and they're going to be slaves. They're going to be oppressed for 400 years. Guys, God had a plan. He had a plan. And he was calling Abram to play a key role in it. But that plan was going to get really scary. Really quickly. And likely, in fact, surely, Abram will die before that plan is fully realized. And he's saying, but I still need you to follow me. I still need you to play the part that I've got for you. In fact, uh, I'm going to flip back to Hebrews 11 because that is exactly, precisely what's happening in 15 is what Hebrews 11 goes on to say. Because like in verse 9 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abram, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. It wasn't his. He's a foreigner. Living in tents, not a walled-in city. In tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He goes, no, I, I know there's, this is going to happen. I'm going to keep following God because there is a city God has prepared. I believe that with all my heart. And and I will die on the journey of believing that God's going to make that happen. Drop down to verse 13 because here's what we find out. That's not just Abram. Every single faithful person in the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 has that same story. It says this. These all, all of these great heroic men and women of faith died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, that they saw them from a distance and, and, and greeted them and confessed, look, they're just foreigners. They're temporary residents here on this earth. And those who say stuff like that, right, they make it clear they're seeking a homeland. And, and look, if they were thinking about where they came from, they, they could go back. They had an opportunity to return. But no, 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 no. They desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Guys, why do really bad, scary things happen to some of the most faithful people 
on this earth. Why? Why do really dark, scary, bad things happen to really faithful people? Look, I, I don't know. I don't know the complete answer to that. But here's what I do know. People that I've known who really believe, have real faith, real trust, here's what they know. They've got one bit part to play in this unfolding story of God, and then they die. They, they don't have the expectation that they're going to see everything all happen and get to the end of that rainbow, right? They don't, they, they don't, no fairy tale ending. They know they've been put on this planet and they've got one little vapor of a life and they're supposed to move the ball down the field one little inch, you know, and then die, right? And they die still leaning forward. They, they die still knowing, look, I was never promised everything. I was never promised the end of the story. Man, I wish I could be there, but God's going to take me somewhere because he's prepared a place and this little blip of a life is just one little moment in time. I am going to live and I'm going to die following after that God, following him to that city. And he's going to take me there one day. It's likely going to be after my mortal life is over with, right? So let me ask you, are you a follower? Not a Christian. Are you a follower? So what happens when things don't go your way? What happens when you hit the brick wall? What happens when you find those dark, scary places? Abram is terrified. He's having this dark, right? This is scary times. You stop following at that point? Say, I'm going back. You can't go back. Just go back. No. People of faith, they hit scary points and they see, God, I need you. And they keep moving forward. They keep moving forward. That's what faith is. You believe that God has something and he's going to pull you through. So I want to I wanna come back to that, that weird bloody thing that we just read about. Because remember, 15.6 says, Abram believed the Lord. He believed what God was going to do, and he credited to him his righteousness. Now look, at, look at what happens in verse 17. So, verse 17, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. It's God making a promise to Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Kedmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites. He's saying all those people that you see are, are owning all that land. It's all yours. They're just temporary residents. I'm going to give it all to you, right? But this whole thing of this, this weird, bloody scene, here's what's going on. Back in ancient times, if two people were going to make a covenant together, make a promise together, so especially with something really important, like they were going to exchange land or something like that, they would do this. They would take animals, like a, a cow, sheep, whatever, and they would slice them in half and put, put halves on either side of like an alleyway, a little, a little place to walk through, right, a hallway. Now, you can imagine how bloody this moment would be, Right? There's guts and blood everywhere, right? As these halves of animals are split open. And, but then here's what you do. You and I are going to make a promise. You're going to go through all that. we got blood all over ourselves. And then we're going to lock arms or lock hands or whatever. And we're going to walk through that bloody mess on either side. And we're saying, look, if you or I, either one of us, break our side of the promise, may we end up just like these animals, right? It's like a big visual to say, I'm serious about this. We're going to lock arms. We're going to make a promise. And if either one of us doesn't do our part, may we end up just like this. So what's the significance of the way God does this? 
Who walks through the middle of the animals? God. It's not, hey, Abram, let's, let's do a pack together. You do your part, I'll do my part. Nope. Where's Abram? He's off sleeping on the side. God put him into a deep sleep, right? That's what it says. God put him into a deep sleep, and, and it, as he kind of wakes up, as he's sitting there, right, watching, God himself walks through. Because you know what he's saying? Abram, you believe me? That's enough. I got it from here. I'll take care of everything. You believe that I'm the promise keeper? You believe that I'm the way maker? You believe that I'm the one that can pull this off? That's enough for me. You sit there. I'm going to take care of everything. It'd be like if you and I were going to go into a, a, a promise, some kind of contract together, and I signed my name, and I flipped it around and slid it across the desk, and I said, wait, wait, no, actually, I don't need you to sign it. I flip it back around, and I sign my name on both halves of the contract. It'd be, it'd be like me saying, actually, I need nothing from you, but just believe that I'm going to do my part. That's it, right? That's the faithfulness of God. Now, I, I need you to know, Abram believes God, and God says, I'll take it from here. I'll do it all. I want you to understand, this is such a crucial part of, of Abram showing us what faith is. Guys, faith is not equal sign obedience. So when you have an equal sign, you can flip those things back and forth, right? They're, they're equal. It's not like if I obey, oh, that, then I have faith. No, no, no. It's not like that at all. Faith doesn't equal sign obedience. It's faith leads to obedience. That's what's true, right? Faith leads to obedience. Because I trust you, I'm going to follow you. Because I believe in you, because I believe what you've said, I'm going to walk forward and I'm, I'm going to trust you. So here, here it is like, uh, I still remember with my kids trying to get them to do scary things. I always wanted them to, you know, you got to push through fear, do scary things. So I remember Audrey, my daughter Audrey, who's part of our Veritas family here, her husband and kids, uh, when she was little, she was maybe of all my kids the, the most fearful. And so I remember trying to get her to jump into the deep end of the pool and so I'd go into the deep end, and I'd be out there, you know, treading water. Come on, Odd, I know you can do it. Come on, I, you know. And she wouldn't, wouldn't, and I'd be like, okay, give me a minute. I'd go up, try to breathe some more, you know, go back out. Okay, now, she finally jumped in. You know why she finally jumped in? Because she really believed that I loved her with all my heart and would never put her in jeopardy, and that she wasn't going to drown. And it wasn't because she knew how to swim so well. It's because I did, and I was going to get her safely there, Right? She was going to jump because she, she believed me. She had trust in me. And, and once she did, there's great reward, right? And she learned how to jump, and she learned how to swim, and she opened up a whole new world at the pool, right? Because it's a whole bunch of fun afterward. But it came not because she all of a sudden realized, oh, I got this. No, it's because I trust my dad who's calling out to me. Here's what I'm saying. That, that childlike faith, Abram is showing us that, guys, if we're going to call ourselves a follower, we're actually going to trust him, and it's going to look like something. We're actually going to trust him to do what we can't do on our own. Now, this becomes a beautiful arrow to Jesus in the New Testament. I, I want to read for you. I'm not going to be able to have this on the screen for you, I don't think, but, but in Romans chapter 5, just listen to these words as I read them over you. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, you and me, helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, maybe someone might even dare to die. But no, no, God proves his own love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. 
while we're helpless, while we bring nothing to the table, Jesus Christ says, you know what? I see this whole world, but I'm going to, kind of like with Abram, but I'm going to zero in on you. I'm going I'm to look at you, and guess what? I require nothing from you except this. Do you believe that I can take away your sin? Do you believe that I can clean your conscience? Do you believe that I can take you to a city one day where, where you will be astounded at what I'm preparing for you? Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that? I require nothing of you but to admit that you are helpless, weak, and still sinning, and now God is saying, I'm going to take care of that. If you believe, I'll take care of the rest. And in fact, it won't be the blood of cows and goats. Jesus is saying, I will spill my own blood. My covenant is so strong. My promise is so strong. I will be the sacrifice that brings you to life. Now, here's my question. Do you believe that? It's crazy. Do you believe the God of the universe would offer that to you? You're in the same place right now that Abram was. That sounds astounding. That sounds like God is bringing way more to the table than we could possibly imagine. We're not going to match him, right? Do you believe that? The bigger question is, are you a follower? If you're saying, I believe, no, I do, I believe that. What's that look like? Do you, do you obey him? That, the God of the universe has put it all on the line to prove to you that you, he is trustworthy. Do you obey him? Do you follow him? Do you decide, I'm going to trust him even in the scary places? Or do you say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe. And then the minute you have any kind of turbulence, the minute you have any kind of you know, rough waters, do you say, oh, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. How could he do that to me? Or, or, or do those moments cause you to like back out? Because people of faith say, man, he never promised me <laughs> a smooth road. He never promised me calm waters. When tough times hit, do you believe? Do you follow even in those moments? And do you just decide in those moments to worship? You know what? <laughs> Abram heard those very words and said, I believe I'm setting up an altar and I'm worshiping right now. Do you have faith? Do you believe? Man, I want to follow the path of Abraham that leads me right to Christ and say, I believe and I'm going to follow. Let's, let's stand together. Let's, let's pray together to Jesus. And as we do, um, Man, just, just go to Jesus, and, and Jesus, what we're saying to you as, as we give you our attention right now, thank you for being the way maker. Thank you, Jesus, for being the miracle worker. Because sometimes we don't see it or, or feel it, but God, well, you have done it all for us. In fact, so much so, that you gave your life? Man. Jesus, what more could you possibly do to prove how trustworthy you are? How deep and profound your love is for us? Jesus, 
We believe. And we're realizing right now, Lord, we're not just going to say that kind of quickly or in some shallow way. We're going to follow you. Jesus, we choose right now to believe and follow you. Because you are trustworthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. We're going to turn this place right now into an altar, a, a moment to just stop and say, we believe you. Hear us as we sing. Hear us as we reaffirm our confident faith in you. In Christ's name we pray.